0: Uh, CLC, um, as we are uh, winding down uh, on our last sermon, uh, on the sermon series called And Justice for All, uh, I am really, really excited uh, to introduce our special guest speaker. Her name is Christine Ingebrigtsen, right? Did I, did I pronounce it correctly? Uh, she is currently uh, serves as the Foster City, uh, as the Bay Area Regional Director and her heart's desire is to follow, uh, to see followers of Jesus turning into his voice of saying yes to all the invitations, uh, all the voices that we hear um, to be able to say yes in, in every day of our lives. Um, she loves to inspire other leaders to live in the fullness of who God is, how God created us us to be, and, and part of a um, founding team of leading a bold, a movement to equip and empower women in ministry, especially in leadership. Uh, Christine loves to teach the Bible in ways that challenge and inspire people to not only simply gather more information, but to enter into transformation by the power of the Spirit. And Christine um, has an undergrad degree from Moody, and she also has an MA from Western uh, Seminary. Uh, Christine has been also been in pastoral ministry for many years, Uh, These days, you can find her traveling around the Bay Area challenging disciples of Jesus to consider how he is inviting them to enter into the lives of some of our most vulnerable neighbors and precious children in foster care. Uh, When I met her, I think it was about almost a year ago, I think it was last year, July, Um, something just kind of instantly kind of, you know what, um, when you meet somebody, you know, um, you just instantly connect. Um, we, we met over a coffee, and um, when I talked to her, something just, wow, this, this lady is just amazing. And one of the things that is amazing is that um, not only does she believe in this cause of foster children, she is actually a foster mom herself. Uh, she's married to Doug for 25 years, she's also a bio-foster and adopted mama to Grace, uh, who is 22, Kayla, Joy, 14, and Isaac, five. And I know you guys are going to enjoy um, her kind of inspirational story. So, Christine, come on up.
1: Well, thank you so much, Pastor Ben. What a gracious introduction. I've got to tell you, it's been a joy to be with you this morning already. Because when I walked into this space, I can tell you that this is a house of prayer. And that's what Jesus dreamed of. When he dreamed of his people gathering, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. And I sense that here. I sense that the Spirit is on the move in this place. I've had incredible times of prayer with Pastor Ben before today as we've prepared to be together. And it doesn't surprise me that because you are a house of prayer, that you were incredibly formed to go out and to seek justice in your community. Because that is the natural expression of where prayer leads us. Life with God leads us into the community, into action on behalf of the most vulnerable. So I just want to commend you. I don't know a lot of churches that are spending a whole month devoted to this for all, having voices come in from different spaces. So I commend you as the leadership team for spending so much time in this space. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, I consider it a sacred privilege to be here with you this morning to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Precious Teenagers and children who find themselves in foster care right here in Alameda County, specifically here in Oakland, each one of them dreamed up by God. And like Pastor Eric talked about, justice being formed from us being made in the image of God. All of these children, all of these teenagers made in the image of God, created with great purpose and with great love. I'm really delighted that Christian Lehman has jumped into this Foster the City partnership. And what Foster the City is, is simply a coalition of churches committed to providing a loving home for every child entering foster care. And we're going to get into that a little bit later, but I want to start our time together in in Mark chapter 1 this morning. There is a word for you, for every single person in this room, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, we thank you that you are here, that your presence is palpable in this place, And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have the incredible ability to live inside each one of us and to speak a unique and specific word that you have. So we want to open ourselves up to you. We have a posture to receive whatever it is that you have to say to us. And whatever your invitation is, oh God, we will say yes. We will say yes. So we give this time to you this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 1. I just love reading the Gospels. If you have any sense of feeling like you're dry in your spiritual walk and you're like forgetting why you were ravished up into the kingdom of Jesus, spend some time in the Gospels soaking in the stories of Jesus and just falling in love with him all over again. So Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 42, it says, On one occasion a leper came and threw himself down in front of Jesus, pleading for his healing, saying, you have the power to heal me right now if you only really want to. Being deeply moved with tender compassion, Jesus reached out and touched the skin of the leper and told him, "Of course, I want you to be healed. So now, be cleansed." Instantly, his leper sores completely disappeared and his skin became smooth. Not powerful? Can you picture that? Familiar story, but someone coming with this incredible pain. The scene: this extremely sick man coming in a posture of desperation on his hands and knees before God, Jesus, God in the flesh. I don't know if this man knew it was God, but he knew that Jesus had God. And we know that Jesus is God, and he lives in us and through us by his Spirit. As many of you know, this man's disease, this leprosy, made him unclean in his community, right? So most people thought leprosy or any illness was because you had sinned. Either you or your parents had sinned. There's always a reason, right? A plus B equals C. You're sick. That means we go back and there's sin. We know that that's not actually how things work, right? But that's how it, there was this belief that, that you are not only sick physically, but that you are sick spiritually. So there's this isolation. He was cursed in his community. And everyone was definitely afraid of leprosy, of being exposed. Does that sound familiar? He was untouchable. Most likely, he was completely isolated. How much rejection, how much trauma, how much disconnection had this man been living with? When was the last time he'd been touched? I think because of this global pandemic we've been experiencing, we can imagine a little bit more of this isolation that he was feeling, right? I think many of us have become more aware of of the power of touch and the the incredible pain of isolation. I remember the first couple of months of sheltering in place and I couldn't see my parents. And I remember just longing to put my arms around my mom in particular. I missed her smell, the feeling that that I feel when her arms are around me, right? That warmth, that comfort of my mother. And I couldn't be around her. I think many of us in this room have experienced that. I think of those who live alone and were untouched for months, We all have a more clear picture, I think, of this man's life. When I read this text during the pandemic, it struck me in a different way because I understand this sense of of wanting to to stay away and be careful and not be exposed. And his natural end was dying alone. This disconnection, this isolation, this lack of human touch, it's it's torture for the human soul. It's worse than the physical ailment, right? That disconnect, that soul loneliness— and I just love what Jesus does, our beautiful Jesus. The text says that he, he's moved with tender compassion. Jesus reached out and touches him. This is extraordinary. This is another moment where we see Jesus turning everything upside down. The people, are, <laughs> their jaws are dropped. They're scratching their heads. They're in absolute wonder of the way he interacted with people, right? There's so much fear, and Jesus is not afraid, He moves into action and he touches what everyone else would never want to touch. Jesus is moved into action by his compassion and his touch brings healing. He steps into stories that no one else wants to step into. He touches people. He speaks to people. He looks into the eyes of people that most want to simply walk on by. And when we walk with Jesus, we follow in his footsteps. The same power that he moved in, that power to touch and see healing surge through this man's body. That same power, the New Testament clearly tells us, lives in us by the power of the Spirit. Resurrection power, healing power, new life flowing from us by the power of the Spirit. Wow, do we live like that? Did you wake up today going, okay, God, who do you want me to touch? <laughs> who, who do you want to work in through me today? What are you going to do today? Through your spirit in me, I want to join you in that. One of the most powerful personal experiences I've had around the power of touch was, um, and just the way that, that, that the lack of touch, that isolation atrophies a human soul, it was in the life of our second daughter, She came to us through foster care. This is a picture of her on the first day that we brought her home. And I don't know if you can see that her face didn't have a lot of affect, right? There's not a lot of expression in her eyes. She was disconnected. At four months old, she had not yet smiled, the social worker told me. It's normal to smile between four to six weeks, And she was four months, and she hadn't smiled. And when I held her for the first time, I can't even describe you how odd it was. Normally, for me to hold a baby is the most natural thing. But when I held her, her body felt like a board. She was stiff and disconnected and distant because she'd already learned that she couldn't trust that when she cried, someone would come. She'd already learned that there was no one who was going to answer The cries of her heart. She was already learning that she had to protect herself from more pain. Four months old. And I can't tell you how weird it is to hold a baby that's resisting you. It's very unnatural. What had happened is she was in a foster home here in Oakland that was more like an institution. In a foster home where where they were feeding her, but there was no emotional attachment or connection. And the power of attachment in the first few months of life shapes your whole story. It shapes your whole story. So when I took her over the threshold of our condo there in Fremont, California, right across from Central Park, I took her across and I I began to have this like feeling from deep within my guts that I needed to start to speak life over her as I was holding her and touching her and talking with her and trying to fight that isolation that she'd been living in. And so I began to say, you are deeply loved. You are deeply loved and you are filled with joy. You are deeply loved and you are filled with joy and you are chosen. You are deeply loved and you are filled with joy. And of course, the first day she was with us, my daughter, Grace, who's now 22, she's eight here in this picture. She and I were spending our whole day trying, you know, all the craziness you do when you try to get a baby to smile. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? That's what we were doing. And she smiled that day. And I want to show you a picture of her eight months later. You can go ahead and show it now. This is her when she turned one. Do you see? Do you see how love lit her up from the inside? This is what God. That's what He does for us. He lights us up from the inside. He lavishes his love onto us, and then it is our deep privilege to be able to splash that love, to lavish it onto the people that he puts in our sphere of influence, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. We are not the rescuers. We are the rescued. And so because we've been rescued, we can extend love in a way that is very unique to the people of Jesus and i also just want to say that this is you know god wants to do this through you but he also wants to do it for you because i know some of us come today and we feel like that a little bit about our relationship with god we feel a little like we have to protect ourselves a little bit and maybe a little stay back maybe maybe we cried out to him and he didn't answer the way that we wanted him to and so we're a little bit resistant and our bodies are a little bit um, hesitant to surrender to the loving arms of our father and i just you Just believe he's inviting you to surrender to his love, to lay your head on his chest, to let him love you back to life, to let his life light you up from the inside. When we are on mission with Jesus, he is the light of the world and he gives us this light. And then we are invited to go, to follow in his steps. How often do we find something heartbreaking and we say, that's so sad. Oh, that's so sad. And we quickly seek to distract ourselves from the reality of that heartbreak. Right? We don't want to think about it. So we, we watch a movie or we eat something or we just work harder or we look at our phone. <laughs> it's only our broken humanity that allows us to be moved with compassion and then shut it down and not do anything about it. That is our brokenness. Because every time that Jesus was moved with compassion, he actually went into action. Read the Gospels. Do a study on it. Every time, Jesus, his compassion always ended up in him reaching out and speaking and touching and loving and healing. It always became embodied. So what if we began to welcome compassion as an invitation? I'd like you to just think about that this week, today, but then this week. What if you noticed compassion and you literally took that as a way that God is communicating his heart to you? When we say, like Caitlin just said in her prayer, break our heart with what breaks yours. We just all prayed that. We just all prayed that. So if God then begins to do that, if God then begins to break our heart with what breaks his, then that's an invitation into action. And I can't tell you exactly what that looks like for you, but I trust the Holy Spirit of God can tell you what that means. I believe that every, if every follower across the Bay Area would allow their compassion to move them into action, we would see transformation springing up all over our communities. We would see justice roll down like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream like Amos envisions. I want to take a quick detour to one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, it's Moses in the burn, burning bush. Remember that? <laughs> do you remember why God came to him? I love this story. I think about the burning bush, and I wonder if Moses had a cell phone, if he would have seen the burning bush. I'm seriously. If his head was in his phone, would he have even noticed God? How much do we miss that God is doing in the world around us because our heads are in our phones? What, is God, what, are, what are the burning bushes in your life? The invitations that God has springing up everywhere. And we're missing them. Exodus 2 says, The Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise. In Exodus, and remember, I love this, the songs that we sing today. Remember your people. Remember your promise. This is right here. Remember us. And remember, when you think of the Hebrew word remember, it's not just like, remember we're over here, notice us, see, it's remember and move into action on our behalf, on our behalf. Fix it. Set us free. Do something, God. Do something. And Exodus 3, it says, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. In Egypt, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, honey. So now go. I am sending you. How does this relate? God's coming to Moses was a direct answer to the cries that God had heard from his people, suffering and enslaved. And God still moves in this way. We know that we are his body. And so when he hears the cries of people that are in need and pain, little ones in the middle of the night crying out to to God, "If, if you're there, can you get me out of this? Does God come down in a body and go take them out of that home and pr- provide a safe place for them? No, he doesn't. He taps on your shoulders, my brothers and sisters. He taps on you and you are moved with compassion. And he says, I- 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 I'm sending you, my people. Back to Mark chapter 1, what I find so interesting is that some translations there in verse 41 of chapter 1 it sa- say that Jesus was moved with anger or indignation. While it appears most biblical scholars really do believe that the best translation there is compassion in Mark chapter 1, I think this idea of indignation is pretty interesting. When you think about him being angry when the leper comes to him asking for healing, what do you, where is the anger coming from? The anger is not at the man, obviously. We know that Jesus is, is too compassionate and loving and moves towards pain with compassion. And so it can't be at the man. I really believe that it, it's this idea that he is, he, he's angry at The the brokenness. I I believe he's crying out from his soul, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And do you find yourself saying that? This is not the way it's supposed to be. That is another invitation into action. Your compassion and your indignation are both invitations into action to, to bring works of justice for the most vulnerable. Don't be deceived by the lie that says if you can't do everything, that you shouldn't do something, right? There's such big problems to fix. We see even this, the lack of justice. We see and we say we can't fix it. But what is one thing that God is inviting you into? What is one step? What is one simple shift? What breaks your heart? What causes you to bang your fists and cry out, this isn't the way it's supposed to be? What is God's invitation for you? There's another passage there in Mark chapter 10 that uses the same—it's the it's word translated indignation. It says, Now people were bringing the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. This is Mark chapter 10. And the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he told them, Let the children come to me, and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Because we see that Jesus has a special place in his heart for children. Shoving them aside, not making room for them, stirred up anger in him. Can you imagine how he feels about abused and neglected children who find themselves in foster care? His heart breaks. And I believe he's saying, oh my people, my children, my sons and daughters, will you love them? Will you welcome them in my name? We see more of God's heart in James one twenty seven, a very familiar passage when it comes to this context. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of the father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. I think it is important to note that children in foster care are mostly not orphans. They're kids who have parents who are not able to care for them, and they need a safe space where their families are seeking restoration and redemption, seeking to find healing and wholeness so that families can be restored to each other but it's arguably children in foster care are some of our most vulnerable neighbors, would you say? This passage is saying what we see through all the scriptures, Old and New Testaments, that the purest expression of true relationship with God is how we are engaging with the most vulnerable in our community. The powerless, the voiceless, the marginalized, and I and I have to tell you this passage. I, I believe I I was supposed to say this passage to you this morning, Isaiah fifty eight. I don't have a slide for it. I just added this morning. This is Isaiah fifty eight is all about how fasting, how true spiritual practice, always leads to acts of justice. But listen to this. Let this wash over you. Is not this the kind of fasting? I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Tim Keller argues that this expression, your own flesh and blood, he's, he's saying we belong to each other. My black brother is my brother. That is my flesh and blood. We belong to each other in the kingdom of heaven. Remember what James said just a few verses earlier. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We do not gather on Sunday mornings to hear a word that will give us more information. We probably don't need more information. We need transformation by the power of the Spirit. We need to come to his word. And, and like Jesus said, you, my word is, is there for you to meet me. You, every time you open your Bible, it's like, Jesus, show me yourself. It is encounter with the living Jesus. That is what we want when we open the scriptures. And so when we have an encounter with the living Jesus, we are forever changed. Because every encounter with Jesus changes us. I love what Eugene Peterson says about, about time in scripture. He says, Christians don't simply learn or study or use scripture. We assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in company with the Son. This is the natural result of time spent in the Word. In James one twenty seven, the Greek word orphanos can be translated to fatherless or the comfortless. Are you willing to comfort those who are without comfort? This is one of our biggest invitations as followers of Jesus and a huge part of living in kingdom justice. Let's check out 2 Corinthians 1, to 3-4. All praise belong to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the Father of tender mercy and the God of endless comfort. Oh, picture that. Picture that God is the source of endless comfort coming to you all of the time by the power of his Spirit. Do you need comfort? Then open your hands because he is giving it to you. Right now in this moment. The God of endless comfort, he always comes alongside us to comfort us in every suffering so that we can come alongside those who are in any painful trial. We can bring them this same comfort that God has poured out upon us. When you are moved with compassion, it is invitation to come alongside in some way. That root word is the same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit who comes alongside us, the comforter. A lot of times people say, I could never be a foster parent because I could never say goodbye to them. I could never love a child and then they have to go back. Are you willing to have your heart broken so that a child is a little less heartbroken? We spend so much time protecting ourselves, people of God. The invitation to follow Jesus is not about protecting ourselves. Check out the second half of this verse in James 1.27. It says, Refusing to let the world corrupt us. James 1.27, right? Refusing to let the world corrupt us. What is the most enticing invitation of the world? I believe that more than anything, the world's most enticing invitation, especially here where we live, is to seek my own comfort. I want to be comfortable financially. I want my kids to be comfortable and go to the best school. It's my country. It's my neighborhood. It's my money. It's mine. It's all mine, mine, mine. We want to seek all of those things for ourselves. There's nothing wrong with seeking justice and enjoying the justice that God wants to bring us. But if it ends there, then there's, there's, there's a problem. I believe that the world entices us to shut down our compassion. To shut down our indignation and just take, care of, just take care of me. But like I said, the kingdom of God, we belong to each other. If you want to bring kingdom justice, if you want a life that embodies a taste of God's kingdom here on earth, and I believe that's why we all are here, then you must be willing to get uncomfortable get uncomfortable. The way of Jesus invites us to lose our life that we might find it, and he is with us every step of the way. So I want to transition into specifically speaking about this foster care space. The reality is that here in Alameda County, specifically here in Oakland, there is a crisis. There are more children coming into foster care every day than there are families to welcome them, and these kids enter into foster care because of allegations of abuse or neglect in most cases. Think of how that breaks the heart of God. The next slide shows the tragic long-term impact of kids growing up without a loving and stable family. If children who find themselves in foster care are never welcomed and they bounce from house to house, they're never welcomed, they never have someone who says, I am with you and for you no matter what. They age out, never having been welcomed into a safe and loving home. You see, 50% of the kids um, will deal with home—will deal with substance abuse. One in three will have an unsheltered season of their life. And what's so—I know you have a real heart around anti-human trafficking. If you care about human trafficking, think about fostering. Because pimps see the foster care system as a pipeline for recruiting workers— the vulnerability of wanting to be loved. The vulnerability of wanting to be chosen and wanting to have a family and wanting to belong. those are what, That's what pimps tap into from their own broken story, right? But they tap into that. 60% of the girls, the kids, boys and girls that were rescued out of a trafficking ring a few years back, 60% had spent time in foster care. The vulnerability is profound. We had a child in our home. She was 17 and at a foster youth program, she was propositioned by a younger kid, 15 years old, who said, you and I can make a lot of money. You're young and white and blonde. Let's go into business together. And she had been in our home for about six months, and she told me this when she came into the car. She goes, a year ago, I probably would have said yes. And she buckled her seatbelt. The vulnerability of kids in foster care to horrific outcomes What I want to say, is this okay with you? It's not okay with me. So I want to say, come on, resurrection people. Not on my watch. Our lives. Jesus dreams that our lives would embody his redemption and his resurrection power. What a beautiful thing to get up to every morning. What do you have for me today, Jesus? We believe that the best way to see transformation in our city is to care for a vulnerable child today. What if the church became known as the place where abused and neglected children were welcomed as beloved sons and daughters? What if that was our reputation? So often the church is known for what we're against, aren't we? We're so often known for, oh, they are against this, they're against that, they're anti-this, they're anti-that. What if we were known for this? They are the ones that welcome the stranger. They are embodying Matthew 25. If you don't know Matthew 25, I encourage you to read it, especially the Christmas season. Because Matthew 25, when you give to the least of these listed there in Matthew 25, you're giving to Jesus. This, what incredible, this Pendo's project, what a beautiful Christmas gift to give Jesus. In- incredible. That's why the vision of Foster the City is simply a church for every child. And I believe the next slide shows our model. I love this picture. This is so gorgeous. I showed this to a foster mom. Actually, I heard that this picture was shown to a foster mom. And when she saw this, she said, if I would have had that kind of support, I could have fostered for 20 more years. The support friend team's coming around. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's what we're dreaming. We're dreaming of a day when there's a waiting list of loving homes instead of a waiting list of children in need of a loving home. And that reality could become—that that dream could become a reality if every church just raised up one foster family and wrapped that family with the support of four friends. Let me just tell you, when I say foster family, I mean anyone who says yes to welcoming a child into, safe and loving, into their safe and loving home. This could be you who are empty nesters and have experience as parents. It could be those of you who are single and who've never— then a parent. It could be a young family with an energetic home. There's no one size fits all. We need all kinds of families for all kinds of kids to step in. And if this isn't a season where you can foster, then what about considering being a support friend for a foster family? A support friend is someone who says, I deeply care about this. My heart breaks. I'm moved with compassion, but I can't personally foster right now. I could support someone who does, I can bring a meal once or twice a month. I can babysit. I can do some yard work. I can help with getting the house clean. I can help with transportation. I can speak life over a text or an encouraging mail, encouraging letter through the mail. A support friend is someone who comes alongside a foster family. I can tell you as a foster mom, it's hard. It is hard to welcome kids who've come from trauma into your home. The parenting is different than you parent kiddos that have been literally loved and nurtured and safe from the moment of conception. It will stretch you beyond anything you could ever imagine. And so 60% of, of foster parents quit after the first year. That's a 40% retention rate. Only 40% of families continue after the first year. But guess what? With this supportive community, we have seen 90% of our families at Foster the City, 90% that are fostering after a year. Wow! Wow! the power of support, and this is what the church does so beautifully. And as we launch this here at Christian Layman Church, we are looking to identify a leader of this movement, an advocate, and don't be intimidated, a point person, a person who says, oh, I care about this, and I want to make sure that if there is a foster family raised up, that they get the support. I would love to see two of you I would love to see two of you at the back table after the service who are saying, I, w- I want to come help bring this. I want to work in partnership with Pastor Ben and the team here to lead this, to keep this before the congregation. Oakland, 40, about 45% of all of Alameda County, you guys, 45% come from Oakland. I can't tell you the joy of being, speaking, driving into Oakland. My, my huge, big, audacious prayer at the beginning of this year was more movement in Oakland. More churches in Oakland saying yes, because we need—these kids are removed from their homes, and they're sent to communities where they're, they're completely unfamiliar. You're from Oakland, and you end up in a house in San Joaquin Valley? Can you imagine? Trauma upon trauma. We need families from within communities to welcome these kiddos, and then we need support to help carry these families through the hard. Just because it's hard doesn't mean we can't do it. We can do hard things by the power of the Spirit. That is, We follow a Messiah who went to a cross, who was carrying such a heavy cross that he fell under it. This is who we apprentice under. Are we willing to go with him wherever he leads? At the end of the story is resurrection. If the Holy Spirit is stirring you in awe around these children and their families, I just want to invite you to take one step. I think sometimes when we're moved by really big things, we are overwhelmed, and so we're like, because we can't do everything, like I said earlier, we don't do anything. We're always only invited to just simply take one step in anything God's inviting you to. You are not, what we do is we say, I can't do 10 steps from now, therefore I won't do the first step. The first step of, of hearing more about this means simply coming to an interest meeting. And the next slide shows this. The interest meeting that's coming up, if you are interested in hearing more about being a foster family, being a support friend, or that advocate role, come to the back. My colleague Ellie, my beautiful Ellie. There. We'll be in the back to chat with you, to get you signed up for an interest meeting. If you're online, you can go to slash RSVP and just come to a meeting. It's a, an hour on a Tuesday night next week, and you can hear more about how God is moving and how you are invited to be a part of it. Just simply take the next step. Just come here. Just come here a little bit more and see what God has for you. We talk ourselves out of doing hard things. And there's no way that I, in my human strength, can talk you into anything. This has to be a work of God. He does the heavy lifting. It is his spirit in you. But when he speaks, I just encourage you to listen and do whatever he says. Because he is inviting you into life and a life that is abundant. And that includes stepping into the stories of those whom justice eludes. I want to close today with a story that I heard at Christian Alliance for Orphans several years back. The man speaking told of witnessing something unforgettable. He was in Africa, and it was during the height of the AIDS epidemic, where children were being orphaned literally daily. And he said he was in the back of this large, well, large in Africa hut, and the women were sitting on one side and the men on the other because that's how they divided. And he 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 said he was in the back, just witnessing this church community. And the pastor was in the front and brought a little child in the front and said, "Um, this little boy, his mom died this week, and his dad had already died. He has no one anymore. He has no family. Is there anyone who can take him home and welcome him into their home this week? We're talking about people who have five of their own children, their own biological children, living in small huts, one-room huts. This man tells of how he was in the back and he saw a woman and a man from across the aisle turn towards each other and look at each other and nod their head. And in that moment, decide, yes, we'll take him. The man stood and said, we'll take him into our home. We'll love him. We'll welcome him. Just because I'm not standing, I I really believe that if I was standing here and I could show you the baby that I saw a couple weeks ago who's in foster care, or if I could show you the pictures of my kiddos when they came in, or a 15-year-old teenager who just wants a family. If I brought them up, I know that there's people in this room that would be like, I'll take, I'll take her home. <laughs> I know there is. Just because I can't bring these kiddos with me and they're not standing before you that doesn't mean that they're not in your neighborhoods and God is saying I am sending you I am sending you and that's my simple invitation to you this morning are you moved with compassion do you bang your fist and say this is not the way it's supposed to be kids are supposed to be loved and nurtured and protected If you have a problem with that, if that's not okay with you, and I encourage you to take one step. I'm sorry I'm getting emotional. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit is palpable in a place for me. I just want to remind you this morning of St. Teresa of Avila's words. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. Holy Spirit, give everyone in this room the courage to move, to move into action. I pray that your justice would roll down through everyone in this room. God, give us the courage to get uncomfortable, to go to places that you invite us because you're going to be with us every step of the way and you will never leave us. And when we are with them, when we are with those who are most vulnerable, you are closer than ever. We follow you wherever you lead, and we trust, we trust you to carry us through. In Jesus' name, amen.